Stop to put on some glasses or we'll not get any further than this. All I got to do is find which pocket you stick the things in, you know. Here we go. Greetings. Good morning. morning. It's great to be with you. It's always good to be here. And uh, just um, fun things happen here when we come, both uh, with the family that hosts us and with this family when we get here. And I can't share them all, but some pretty fun things have happened already this morning. It's... um, Thanksgiving this week, and uh, I was asked if I would kind of have a message that kept within that theme, so we're, we're going to do our best to do that this morning. Uh, the message is uh, not typical in that it's not an expository or prophetic challenge to everybody, but rather a, a biblical motivation for uh, the week ahead and, and what makes it significant. And uh, we're taking it from Psalm 100. It's a short one. Shorter than the message will be, probably, but short. And I title it, Living with an Attitude of Gratitude. And I'd like to start off uh, many, many years ago. By many, I mean before some of these people were born, but contemporary for the rest of us. I, I heard a message and I took copious notes and I've, in several places, I've plagiarized without apology uh, some of the thoughts that came from that, but in particular, uh, the introduction, because I think it speaks to someone who exhibits an attitude of gratitude, at least gratitude. It's a quote by Calvin Whitman, and I quote, I believe as Christians living in the United States, we have so very much to be grateful for, more things than we can even fathom. I'm reminded of the wealthy Texan who was in the habit of giving his father unique gifts every Father's Day. One year it was hand gliding lessons. The year before, it was the entire record collection of Slim Whitman's hits autographed by the singer himself. But this past year, he had outdone himself. He purchased a rare kind of South American bird called a translator. This bird could speak five languages and sing Yellow Rose of Texas in any key while standing on one foot. The talented bird cost him $10,000, but he felt it was worth every penny. This would be the Father's Day gift that Dad would never forget. So a week after Father's Day, he calls his father. Dad, how'd you like the bird? And his father responded, it was delicious. (laughs) Well, there's an example of gratitude, but you know. But most of us have acquired so much stuff. Uh, Another word for his junk that our view of all that God has given us is often obstructed. That's ingratitude. Francis Schaeffer once said, the beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. And I think of Henley's poem, Invictus, it says it well, it matters not how straight the gate, 
how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I think this summarizes pretty well the sentiments of our day. It's an attitude that sees oneself as the source of strength and happiness and prosperity. And I think we as Christians are influenced by that sentiment. We live with the ever-present danger of thinking that we are what we are and we have what we have solely because of what we have done. This is not an attitude supported by God's word. It's not consistent with a spirit-filled life. It's not what thanksgiving is all about. Those of us who know Jesus have been born again, washed in his blood, given the gift of eternal life, should never give in to this sentiment because we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. Most of all, we have the gospel, the good news. We live in a culture, in a world that is just filled with terrible news, awful news. Um, nothing seems stable. Nothing seems very positive. And, uh, but we have the good news. Good news. There's not much good news going around. And we have been gifted with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the privilege of sharing it with people who need it. And I know that we live in a time where sharing it is becoming uh, out of vogue. But we need to wake up. We do. This is good news. This is the good news. We have it. It's ours. We, we can't be keeping it to ourselves. We've got to look for ways, creative ways maybe, so that we just don't offend people and turn them away. But we need to come up with clever, creative ways of sharing this wonderful good news. So here in Psalm 100, we're given an admonition to thank the Lord for who he is and what he has done. In these five verses, we're told how to thank him, when to thank him, and where to thank him. So let's take a look at the passages and see if we can draw some special applications that we can put into practice in our own lives. There's five verses, so we're going to try to do this in five points. It's convenient enough. The first one, the English Standard Version says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all, your, all the earth. Now I have to preempt what I'm going to say here by for those who are here in the, around the Lord's table earlier this morning, this sharing time is going to have more significance than it is to those who missed it. You shouldn't miss it. This is one of, of the churches that I have the privilege of speaking in and sharing in. This Lord's Supper in this place is unique. First of all, there's a lot of love in this fellowship. Somebody I've spoken with already this morning said he came in here uh, from an ethnic church background because he wanted his children to be exposed to an English uh, worship place. I said, what impressed you most? He said, we come in here and we felt the love of God in the people that was here to us. That's a powerful tribute to this fellowship. 
it may have more importance than all the clever preaching and teaching and deep theological truth that's shared. Love is stronger than all of that. Love is more important than all of that. So let's take a look. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Israelite worship, contrary to what we often think, we think of, of, a, of a, a Jewish synagogue and somber people singing somber chants and all of that, but the worship of the Israelites in the day that David penned this was a joyous proclamation. It was a celebration. The, vo the devoted Israelite regarded uh, thanking God as the supreme joy of his life. Listen to the psalmist. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's clear to me that it's appropriate that we express our attitude, our gratitude to the Lord in an audible and public manner. It says, make a joyful noise. The word noise means to break forth with or to burst. It sends the imagery of someone who's so full of an emotion that they're unable to contain themselves. We're sneaking up on Pentecostalism here if we're not careful, you know. I've attended my daughter's and my granddaughter's basketball games. Two years ago, I attended a um, lacrosse game here in New Jersey where a girl named Julie was playing and I sat next to this raucous kid named Allison and when there's a point scored, there was screaming and hollering and uh, blow your eardrums out. We get emotional, we get excited when somebody scores, when somebody makes the, the shot, and, and, and uh, it's just a good thing. They get enthused. I do. I get enthused. And then I had an idea. I thought I'd look that up. Do you know the history of the word enthused? It comes to us from a Greek word that means possessed by God. Who would have thought? The word enthused from the Greek, possessed by God. If our level of enthusiasm was a test, some of us would be found wanting. Verse 2 says, he is worthy of service. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him, that is come before his face, literally <clears throat> come before his face with joyful songs. I don't see much dirge going on here. I don't see much woes me, blah, blah. And I see some excited stuff going on with these people. Service to the Lord implies three things. Humility, fidelity, activity. Humility, you can't serve someone unless you have a humble attitude. It just doesn't work. Fidelity. Service implies faithfulness. Otherwise, it wouldn't be service. It would be betrayal. And then activity. You can't serve someone if you don't do anything. 
I think we need to remember that God is more concerned with what we are than what we do because what we are will determine what we do. When God was given the law to the Israelites in, in Deuteronomy 28, 27, he told them that they would be cursed. That's strong. He told them that they would be cursed if they did not serve the Lord with joyfulness, gladness of heart, and the abundance of all things. That's pretty positive stuff. That's, that's the way he wants us to be. Lots of folks who claim to be followers of Christ don't exude a lot of joy or gladness. And I think that's because they're looking in the wrong places. Some serve them out of a form of greed. This person does what they do in order to get something, whether it's for God or for the church. They do things for what it's going to get for them. God, I will do this. I will attend this. I will give this much. I, if you do, if you do, I will if you do for me. That's greed. And greedy people don't often end up very happy, I found. And this is because physical things, earthly position and accomplishments, they can't meet spiritual needs. And even the person who uh, has all the treasures, all the things, still has deep personal spiritual needs, but they'll never have them met as long as their focus is on material things. The more he seeks happiness, the further away from him it becomes. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Others grudgingly serve the Lord. This attitude asks, why does God require this of me? Haven't I done enough already? I helped build that church. I, 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 I was a, a director of that camp. I have, I have given, I, I have, I've done. I, why is any more required of me? These folks honestly think that they've paid the debt to God and somehow God owes them something. They're blind to the blessings of God and they don't seem to see just how undeserving they really are. John Maxwell says it well. He says, the instant we are born, we already owe someone for nine months of room and board and we never really pay it back. We can never do enough, do enough, to adequately, adequately express our appreciation to our Lord. So some do it out of greed, and some do it as a grudge, and others see their service to God as a grind. These people have lost the joy of their salvation. They're duty-bound. They do it because they have to, or somebody else thinks they have to. They go through the motions, but... It's an inconvenience because after all, a ball game has already started and I'm missing the first quarter. No, you know, just, just like our marriage, our relationship to the Lord does not have to become a grind, lacking passion and zeal. It only gets that way because we allow it to. So we're not to serve the Lord out of greed, with a grudge, or as a grind, we are to serve with gladness. It ought to be a joyful thing to do. 
So it's easy to do this if we remember what verse 3 tells us. So we move to verse 3. It says, he alone is God. Simple. Know that the Lord, he is God. No one else deserves our services like he does. He's God. He must be first in our lives, first in our career, first in our family, first with our spouses. He's got to be first. That's our motivation for service with gladness. This is how we can live with an attitude of gratitude because the Lord we serve is God. Tough concept. Easier to mouth these words this morning. Tough concept. But it's the truth. It's, it's what we should aspire to, however difficult it is for us to get there. So he says he has made us. We are his. This is a stinging rebuke to the thought that may give ourselves credit for the blessings that fill our lives. He made us. He owns us. And when we sold ourselves out to sin and rebel against him, he bought us back with the precious blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no claim. We have no right to our own lives. They belong to him. We are his people, it says in this verse, the sheep of his pasture. We are his representatives here on earth. The, the word says that we are ambassadors. As his sheep, he leads us, he provides for us, he guides us, he comforts us, he protects us, he prospers us. He is the fount of every blessing. So look with me at verse 4. Verse 4 says, He is worthy of our praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now something happened at the breaking of bread this morning that I want to share with you. Man can set things up. Man can be clever and stage things. But only the Holy Spirit of God can sovereignly come in and choreograph the dance that none of us have ever danced. And it happened this morning. In this next portion, you're going to hear it. I, they had no idea what I was going to speak on. There had been no communication with anybody. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. I'm going to elaborate on that. But in the breaking of bread, Alan stands and gave a wonderful portion on the name of Jesus and the names of Jesus and the importance of that name. And then Robert stands up and exalts the name, gave a little teaching on the name of Jesus and called for him that talked about the name of Jesus and sat down. And Joey stands up and gives tribute to the name of Jesus, the importance of the name of Jesus. The Israelites could only experience the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God resided. But now because of Christ, Jesus lives inside us all by his spirit. Everyone who will place their faith and trust in him 
for forgiveness of sins and for their salvation. So the believer is always in the presence of the Lord. You cannot escape his presence if you are a believer in Jesus. Even if your conduct is not what you're proud of, not what your parents are proud of, or your friends are proud of, or God is proud of, you can't escape his presence if you know him. So our attitude should always be one of thanksgiving of praise. We're to thank, be thankful and bless his name. A Jew of the day would know that all the blessings intended for his benefit could only come from God. And the giver of the gift could not be separated from his name. And that's generally true throughout life. The giver of a good gift. We generally remember his name. That's why we bless the name of the Lord. That's why that name, he is the giver of all good gifts. When the scripture tells us to bless the Lord, he's telling us that we must profess, acknowledge, accredit, recognize, and confess, not only with words, but with deeds, that God alone is the true source, only source of true happiness and blessings in life. When we do this, we, we really have no, no option but to thank him. So I believe it would be a contradiction to assume that we have a right relationship with God and not have an attitude of gratitude. That's not there, something's wrong, it needs to be corrected. If you're living without this gratitude, then you're living with the deception that someone else, you or someone else, is responsible for the good things in your life. Gratitude, is display, gratitude that is displayed is the evidence of a proper understanding of who God is. And if you want to know why he's worthy of praise, we drop to verse 5. God is good. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is why we're supposed to give praise to God. Here we're told why we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and serve him with gladness. He is good. He has mercy on us. His promises are golden. There's no one else about whom these things can be said but our God. So here are a few ideas I think might aid in gaining and maintaining an attitude of gratitude in our lives. Number one, take note. This means to live with awareness. As Americans, I think we're so tempted to see nothing but our own reality. It's all about me and what's going on around me. One of, the, one of, one of not, all, not the only one, but one of the great benefits of sending young men and women on short-term mission trips into the inner cities or to third world countries is to impress upon them the reality of the huge blessings that we have received as a nation. They ought to be aware when they see, and, and for those who have gone overseas and into third world countries as I have, and seen what people live like. You can't help but be moved by the fact that this, we've been blessed. We've been blessed. Take note. If you calculated the total number 
of human beings on this planet, the population of the United States would be a minor percentage. Yet we possess disproportionate percentage of the toys and devices and the cars and conveniences. We pay more for dog and cat food than most humans have for fresh vegetables. Vet fees may rival the money available for family health in many third world nations. Just in the realm of temporal advantages, we have a great deal to be thankful for. But all of this stuff pales in light of the spiritual riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, we, live, we live in a culture without hope. And we have hope. You've got to understand what an important thing that is. That you walk around with hope. You have hope for this life and hope for the life to, to come after this life. You have hope and the rest of the world is suffering with a lack of hope. And here in our country, we suffer. Our young people coming up, they don't have a lot of hope. They exist from day to day for the pleasures that come. But they don't have much hope. They don't think much about future because future doesn't promise them a whole lot. Take note. Become aware. Open your eyes to the creative work of God on the palate of human nature, the wonders of new life, of families. For that, you should be grateful. Grateful. Look at your families. Look at your kids. Look at your kids' kids. Understand what a wonderful gift they are to you and be grateful to God. Second, take inventory. Count your blessings, it says. I like that old song. You know, we, we sing it in the, when old people get together. <laughs> Count your many blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged and thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Have you tallied up the blessings in your life lately? I, I mean, I know we can all say, we do, oh, surely, oh, God has surely blessed me. Yes, yes, yes. God has blessed me. I suggest we need to push away all the dust-ups in the disturbing chaos of the culture we live in, perhaps even the house we live in, and make ourselves itemize individual particular blessings. The scripture says, name them. Know what they are. I have to tell you, I haven't always been very good at this. In this last year, I have found myself more, I think, than at any other time in my life. Naming them, breaking them down. I found myself praying prayers that I meant Worshiping God and his wonder and his glory and his lovely son. And da, 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 da. But I recognized that a lot of them were words that I had said the last time I prayed and the time before that that I prayed. And, and it was like I was lumping everything together. Thank you for. That covered it, all of it. And that's not what the word of God says. And for the last year, I have found myself thanking him for leaves following, for fish chasing other fish, I mean, crazy things. Uh, the pattern of rocks on a beach. Acknowledging the wonder of God. 
the individual blessings, and it's enriched my life. It, it's been a good thing. Many of, us, many of us have a tendency to focus on everything that's going wrong. I know I do. This gives us a distorted picture of life. If I get caught fixating on all the disturbing events dominating the news cycle, I'll never see the good things that are happening around me. Take inventory of the blessings and stop focusing on things that could go wrong. Third, take action. Turn our attitude of gratitude into expressing our appreciation of others' contribution to us and to those around them. There are some wonderful people in your life who have wonderful hearts of compassion and generosity, and you know them, you've watched them. They may be your children, they may be your parents, they may be just somebody else you know who really knows how to, to love and to give and to be gracious. Bless God for them. If God's blessed you, bless someone else. Now, Joan and I, uh, God blesses Joan and I. But he doesn't bless us solely for our own benefit. E even though our life has been uh, in, in full-time work, trusting God by faith to supply our needs, and he has wonderfully, we still have the joy of helping in the support of several young people who are raising money to go on two-year missions works. That's, that's my favorite way of expressing praise to God. I, I, I like that when kids get a chance to go. We can all do something. None of us are so destitute and living so frugally that we can't, can't bless somebody else that's wanting to step out and do something for God. He places support in our hands and salaries in yours to make available opportunities to be his servants. Jesus says when we act in kindness, blessing others even with as much as a cup of cold water, it is though we have done it for him. Consider doing it while you're still here to see the good it will do. Perhaps some here have money that you'll more than you'll ever need. You can't take it with you. Find some good to do and do it. Show your appreciation to God by how you serve him with what he has given you. Whatever that is, however little that is. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe you're flat broke and your college loans are killing you. You can sing, young lady sang this morning. You could play instruments. People blessed us with worship music to lead us to the throne this morning. Somebody, somebody fixed meals downstairs. There's a lady came up to me this morning. She was so excited about all the stuff on the table that I could choose from to eat, not knowing that I couldn't eat anything but the cheese. But she was excited. She was enthused by the opportunity to bless all the rest of you that came down there. We need to look for those opportunities. So kind of in conclusion, 
It's not scripture I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote something that was said on April 30th, 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln. Imagine a president of our country doing what he's about to do. He read this at his proclamation for a national day of fasting and prayer in 1863. And I quote, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserves us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. End quote. Oh, that a man of God, leader in this country, would stand and utter such things, believing them. How about you and me? Does our lives presently demonstrate a sense of gratitude to God? Does that attitude fill us with a sense of peace? Because that's what it's meant to do. When we serve him in gladness, when we rejoice over all that he has done and give him praise, it gives us peace. When others see us, are they aware that we live our lives for someone else to whom we owe a tremendous debt? Is there joy in your life? So the exhortation on this, on this Thanksgiving weekend weak time to let our personal and cognitive praise and thanksgiving to God be the pivotal purpose for our thanksgiving celebration. That of all the other things we do, the love we share, the food we eat, the ball games we watch, whatever it is you're going to do, that thanksgiving to God be the centerpiece, the thing that's driving the disc around and around that you're riding on. I think it's so important that we don't get caught up in all of the crazy appeals on television and the controversies that's going on in government and, and especially during this week when families are coming in or you're going out to families or you're just Skyping them or whatever you're doing to, to keep it together. Thank God audibly thank God and express your praise for all that he's done for all of us. Give him the glory that he deserves. In Jesus' name, amen.